It's Thursday, February 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor and Fool One, Sarah Hoff. Happy Thursday. Hello. Hola. Hola. It's a happy Thursday if you are a TripAdvisor shareholder. Sure is. I am. Are you? I am. Excellent. Chris? I, I am not. Uh, but I need the trifecta here. I'm just, you know, th- throwing the benevolence towards this TripAdvisor shareholders like you two. Maybe a few of our Periscope viewers out their own shares. If so, let's see some hearts, yeah. right? It's a good day. <laughs> it is a good day. We are Periscoping this, as we do from time to time. And in keeping with Periscope, which was bought by Twitter, let's start with Twitter, which is not having a TripAdvisor kind of day. Shares of Twitter hitting a new 52-week low after fourth quarter results showed no user growth for the first time since the company went public. Jason, I'm guessing you have a silver lining or two in this quarter, but let me just state once again, no user growth for the first time since they went public. Yeah, no user growth. And I mean, I'm not going to sit there and try to cupcake that. That's definitely not good. I mean, I'm pretty sure, you know, Twitter could come out with an earnings release that said they grew their user base by umpteen percent. And no matter what else the release said, the market would just jump for joy and bid the stock to the roof. So, I mean, that is, you know, one way to look at it is that the market and financial media just aren't going to look at this as a glass half full unless they see uh, user growth. Now, it's worth mentioning that management also noted on the call that user growth is uh, materializing here in January going into February. So, this quarter they're seeing. Growth there, and a lot of it is due to you know, a lot of the the sort of tinkering they're doing with the platform, and I think that's something that's really important to note here, because you know for the longest time, I, I mean, I think what's going on right now with Twitter, it really sort of confirms the fear that we had that that former leadership. I mean, I don't know any any other way to put it. They just ultimately had no idea what they were doing. I mean, they just didn't know what they were doing. I mean, they brought the company public, and that was fine. But I think that uh, you know having Dick Costello in the CEO seat there, as as someone who wasn't a founder of the business, he didn't have sort of a, that sort of tie to it, and, and it didn't offer it didn't offer his employees you know that sort of green light to try new things. Sort of the, the platform was sacred, and they couldn't change it. That really kind of painted them in a corner, and I think. It's it's been a, a crucial step forward in getting Jack Dorsey back there as the CEO because he does give them that green light. And if you're a user of Twitter, then you probably have seen they are just trying all sorts of things now. Uh, some are working, some maybe not so well. But what they do is they do a lot of testing, find out from core users what kinds of features they really like, what's going to work. And I think that over time, you know, this is going to result in growing that user base. Now Let's also set expectations here correctly because the measuring stick is always Facebook, and I just I think that's an absurd measuring stick. This is never going to be some Facebook style platform. Uh, so so get that sort of out of the way. I think Twitter is going to need to just do a great job with what it's got, and if it can grow that user base to 400 million, well that's great. You know, take that 400 million and really monetize it. But we'll see them continue to refer to that total audience, which is far beyond the 305 million that they're they uh, you know announced today or yesterday. Uh, it, they see a total audience out there of 800 million. 
plus that are seeing that Twitter content. So I think that's that's in line with the view that we've always held million dollar portfolio when we added Twitter to the portfolio is that this is more about the platform and its ability to get content and information beyond that core user base to essentially the entire world. Just because you aren't a registered Twitter user does not mean that you're not running into Twitter content every day. They've got, in addition to all the other challenges, they also have the challenge of walking the fine line between changing the platform in ways that attract new users, because they have to get new users, but changing it in ways that they know are going to resonate with their user base that is very engaged. This is a very the people who are on Twitter and use it a lot are very engaged. And we've seen other businesses like this before where it's a really fine line that they have to walk because they can make some platform changes that may turn on the fire hose and bring in new users, but in some in some ways Sarah they they risk annoying or driving away their most engaged proponents. Yeah, I think they have to balance that along with, um, like Jason said, reaching out into new areas. I think one area that Twitter has an opportunity that maybe they haven't fully explored yet is the fact that when Twitter started, people thought people or users would come to Twitter and stop going to other sites. But it's turned out that a lot of people come to Twitter and then you know, bounce through to other web pages like news articles or things like that. And I think Twitter can do a lot more with those partnerships and kind of integrating that together. But they have to be careful, like you said, not to alienate their core base. Adam Bain, Chief Operating Officer? Yeah. Yeah. He had he had tweeted out this morning uh, an article about how the ad community. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah, I read that's that. That's one of their constituents, the ad community. Really likes the the changes that they're making. Sure, but doesn't that mean we are just three months away from finding out how much they like it? Because if they if the advertising community really loves the new algorithms, the the new developments in the platform, then they're going to start spending money on it. Uh, I would think. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't look at it uh, quite in the context of maybe a three month time frame. I, I personally am looking at this. As really the big year for Twitter. I mean, this is kind of the make or break year for them because I do believe they have a leadership team in place with Jack Dorsey and Adam Bain. Uh, Kayvon Beckpour has just been promoted up to the executive team. He's the guy who co-founded Periscope and was, uh, you know, the CEO of that of that uh, company as well. And so I, I think that you know we're looking at a couple of big catalysts here. The Super Bowl, which just happened, obviously. Uh, Seemed to work out very well for them. I mean, they made the note in the call that 90% of the advertisers that ran on TV uh, also ran on Twitter during the Super Bowl. So there was a significant buy in there, a lot of sort of creative new ways. They were using Periscope and Vine and, and, and you know, just, just sort of taking video to the next level, which I think is something that they're really going to focus on with Twitter. But there are two really big events coming here in 2016 between the, the Olympics. And the the election in November, and so these I think are going to be big opportunities to grow the user base, to engage the user base, but also really to to see if these adjustments, but also these to changes, make money. yeah, these changes <laughs> that they're making to their timeline algorithms, like you mentioned. I mean, it's worth noting these guys went from zero dollars five years ago to two point two billion dollars in two thousand and fifteen. So it's not like they're not making money. I mean, that's a really to me significant number two point two billion. Says there is some buy in there, uh, but but again, I mean, I think as long as the market focuses primarily on that user base, 
they're only going to give the stock so much credit until they're able to prove that the real power of Twitter is what extends beyond that core user base. And I'm excited to see the ways that they're going to try to work that into this year. I think they have a big opportunity, and I expect to see them capitalize on it. TripAdvisor's fourth quarter profit and revenue came in much higher than Wall Street was expecting, shares up around 15% today. And Sarah, this seems like this seems like a quarter that really took a lot of people on Wall Street by surprise. Were you surprised? Well, uh, as a longtime TripAdvisor fan, even before I bought shares, um, I have been very bullish on TripAdvisor. But I can see why, with the kind of economic worries that just continue on and on, and with other, uh, you know, with terrorism acts and Zika virus, people are thinking, "Oh, TripAdvisor," and you know, it's not going to do that well uh, among its actual business-related prospects. And they are spending more on setting up their instant booking, but the opportunity here is so big for the company, and unlike Twitter, TripAdvisor has no user-based uh, growth problem. Yeah. They now get uh, 200 um, contributions per minute of content, and this is all you know free content that users are posting for them. So the goal here with the instant booking and uh, is to segue from that content into a one-stop shop. So, you research where you want to go and what you want to do, and then you can find the best prices through TripAdvisor and then go ahead and book, instead of the what management was describing of the usual process a lot of us do of checking, bouncing around between 15, 20 sites before we book our trip. Yeah, it is exhausting. Yes, <laughs> you know it is. There, I will confess that there there have been times over the last couple of years where I've had a moment where I've just thought, oh, I, I just want to pick up the phone and call someone and just say, Hey, just help me out here. Just point me in the right direction. <laughs> a TripAdvisor is a tremendous platform. I mean, I I've never I've never really seen anything like it in the travel world at all, and I really love their position sort of in that transaction chain, right? I mean, yep. that's where you go first. You go there to do your research and try to figure out where you want to mm-hmm. go, and determine the hotel where you might want to stay. And there's all of this content, these reviews, and they're well vetted. The trust um, is very high. Yeah, yeah, it is extremely high. Mm-hmm. There's there's a tremendous amount of trust in that brand, and I think it really, you know, the instant booking initiative has been has been interesting from an investing perspective because what it does essentially is it results in fewer clicks right and ultimately it's that click based advertising that is tripadvisor's bread and butter revenue generator but what it does on the flip side of that is they're more qualified clicks mm-hmm. ultimately more profitable clicks and so um, again when you look at it from the perspective of like booking.com which they just recently tied up to bring a lot of that inventory over to tripadvisor uh, it's great for TripAdvisor because that's where people go first anyway. And if they can make it so that you can book that hotel there, then that's great. And it's great for Booking.com because, well, TripAdvisor is generating a lot of traffic anyway. And if they can be a part of that transaction, then that's a win-win. And don't forget that uh, fewer clicks is always better for mobile too. Sure. And now at this point, more than fifty percent of TripAdvisor's traffic is on mobile. So when you're on your phone, you don't want to wait for another window to open or no. have to go to another site and juggle back and forth. You want to just go ahead and and book that thing and get on with your life. Yep. Shares are having a good day, Sarah. It's trading in the low 60s, down from its high in the mid 90s. Is this is this a stock with room to run? You think? Certainly. Yeah. The TripAdvisor, the investments they're making right now, um, and will continue to be making this year to get all these instant booking um, partnerships set up. Um, They're still working. I mean, they have eight of the ten big hotels, and they have Priceline, but they still have 
other partners to work with. Uh, and then as they, just like Twitter and other sites are doing, continue to uh, optimize their sites, I think there's still plenty of room for this business. Travel is a $1.3 trillion business. Yeah, that's pretty huge. Uh, you know what I noticed last night? I was kind of fiddling around um, on my phone. I noticed Expedia had released their earnings. And I guess the CFO of Expedia, they had, I guess they had a question regarding the Airbnb and like how much of an effect would that or was that having on their business? And and he very boldly said none whatsoever. If anything, it just opens up the market opportunity right. even more. And I think that's been a big concern for a lot of the travel industry is that Airbnb is going to come in here and just turn this whole thing upside down. Uh, so I think there's probably some enthusiasm there from investors that they see Airbnb more as additive as opposed to just straight up competition that's going to take away share. I think it opens up travel to uh, maybe a whole um, type of person that doesn't sure. want to go stay in a hotel. They want to be in, in a home or an apartment with room to spread out. Um, also, TripAdvisor has a vacation rental mm -hmm. segment, so they're working on that too. So I just I think there's a lot more to TripAdvisor than maybe um, meets the eye here. That's selfishly, that's good to hear that they're working on that because uh, my wife and I have three kids, and yep. it's really tough sometimes on the hotels. And increasingly, we're going the vacation rental route right. because that way, because for you can the spread out, yeah, for the cost of two hotel rooms, mm -hmm. we can get an actual home. Whole Foods first quarter kind of a mixed bag. Profit and revenue were better than expected, but the the guidance for 2016, Jason, uh, I suppose it could be worse. Uh, they're saying that same <laughs> stores, same store sales are going to be certainly some fear mongering there, Chris. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know what? I can go more on the fear mongering. Debbie Downer's got nothing um, on you. Right. Same store sales for 2016. Whole Foods is saying they're going to be flat to negative two percent. Uh, have to mention, as I always do, John Mackey, the co-CEO of Whole Foods, is a member of our board of directors. This is uh, we have seen this earnings season over the past few weeks. We have seen any number of companies across a range of industries come out with a decent to good quarterly report with ho hum to flat out bad guidance, and that trumps the report, and we see us stocks sell off pretty significantly. Shares of Whole Foods on basically that same blueprint are flat. Why do you think that is? Um, okay, so I don't want to jump on sort of the glass half empty bandwagon here, but I must admit, I mean, recently I've become a little bit more concerned with Whole Foods. And I think primarily, part of it is just kind of, I've just sort of noticed my own behavior recently. But I think the competition is catching up with them a little bit more quickly than I think even they anticipated. And it got, I was thinking about this, it started really kind of mulling this over a couple of months ago, but I've noticed that like, I am not going to our local Whole Foods near nearly as much as, as I used to because there's a giant down the road from our house that just mm. redid the entire store. It's much bigger, far more selection than it ever had before, a very nice experience. It's just more convenient for me to stop there on the way home and get stuff to make dinner. And and they have a lot of what Whole Foods sells now. So for the longest time, I mean, Whole Foods sort of was on a little bit of a uh, you know pedestal there. It was kind of the only one doing what it was doing, and you know it was the only one that really had sort of that selection in the naturals and the organics and just generally better produce and whatnot. But but recently, I mean, we've seen all sorts of stores from Wegmans to Trader Joe's to Publix to Giant to even Safeway to a degree 
they're getting more more of those types of offerings as well. They're redoing their stores. They understand that it's it's customers care about that kind of stuff and the experience that they have. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there is still, I think, plenty of growth out there for Whole Foods to open more and more stores. I mean, they still see the the opportunity of twelve hundred or so stores plus the three sixty five stores. But I don't know that the market is ever going to give it the premium that maybe it once did, um, because I think that competition has really caught up quickly. I mean, you look at the numbers there; top line grew only three percent. Comps were down one point eight percent. You go back just one year; that top line grew ten percent, and comps were up four and a half percent. So that's a pretty big swing, you know, in one year. It is. So is. So why isn't this stock falling more? I mean, granted, it's been cut in half over the last year, and I'm wondering if just if you're just looking at the stock, and you're putting on your Ron Gross valuation hat, <laughs> you see something that is, you know, I go back a couple of years, and this was, I think, in the last six months, maybe even the last three months of Steve Ballmer being CEO at Microsoft, and it was it was before he even announced he was going to step down. I remember talking to Ron about Microsoft. And he said, "You have to understand the way the stock is right now. It is priced for zero growth. There is literally no expectation <laughs> yeah. whatsoever that they're going to grow their revenue at all. And that's why I think the stock is a buy. And I'm wondering if Whole Foods is sort of if Whole Foods, the stock, is sort of entering that territory where it's like, yeah, we're not expecting anything." I think that so it brings it a bit more uh, in line with its peers. It still trades at a bit of a premium compared to you know concepts like Kroger and whatnot. I think that the market, at least, is giving it the credit that there are a lot of stores left to open. There is a lot of growth there, and it is going to continue to open up a lot of stores here in the coming decade. Um, but by the same token, yeah, it's not it's not trading at that lofty premium it used to, and I think the reason why the market's not you know reacting too terribly harshly today is because you're right, the valuation has been cut significantly here in the in the in the past four quarters, and uh, you know again, it's not to say they can't be successful and continue to grow, but but I think sort of the expectations have been ratcheted back a little bit, and the market's not going to give it quite that same credit that it once did. Yeah, I wonder if the bandwagon jumpers have jumped off at this point, and so we're seeing, you know, the investors who truly want to have a long-term stake in the company. Um, maybe I'm being too optimistic there, but another interesting thing is hearing what you're saying. And I remember you coming in almost every day with your Whole Foods bags <laughs> yeah. for your dinner. I've actually done the opposite thing, whereas I used to make a separate stop on my way home um, at Giant to get stuff. But I've noticed that for basics, the prices at Whole Foods have come down oh, yeah. to right where basically in our area at least giants is and so it's easier for me to go at lunch and you know pick up a salad at lunch and then get stuff for dinner and just go straight home it was less than a year ago that whole foods announced the 365 initiative these smaller footprint mm-hmm. stores aimed at younger shoppers it seemed like they gave a little bit of color on that on the call is we had talked on yesterday's episode about Panera 2.0 and how some of those smaller locations like we've got across the street from right. our office are really starting to pay off for Panera. Now granted that's nearly 2 years after they announced the initiative. So obviously Whole Foods isn't going to see those kind of results right off the bat, but am I correct that at least the initial results were encouraging? Um, I don't know the exact numbers that they gave for the 365. They haven't opened that I think many. It was something yeah, I think they they see it 
growing to something like 10 to 13, I think. This yeah. Year or something and like I know that. they were mostly out west, I think. Yeah. Um, I actually anecdotally had seen that a couple neighborhoods felt a little bit uh, dissed <laughs> because they didn't get the full store. They were like, what, we're not good enough for a full size Whole Foods? But I, again, Chris, I think especially in urban areas, this could be exactly the way to go, especially for the, the customer who wants to just get, you know, more of a European style shopper of just trying to get stuff for the next day or two and get out and get home. But to her point on the pricing there, I mean, that's those stores are geared, geared toward more value. I mean, they're obviously going to be a little bit smaller. You saw their gross margin take a hit of uh, better than 80 basis points based on the cost of goods and they can't really you know pass along a lot of pricing yeah. power when it comes to that because you know you you've seen over the past couple of years their selection of everything now has a 365 uh, you know dynamic to it which is great you know you can go in there and feel like you're getting something affordable but for them uh, it certainly can can result in those margins uh, getting crimped a little bit and and you know on the flip side of the coin the stores that they build going forward, they're talking about really building out bigger stores for the, for the Whole Foods concept, which you know that'll be interesting to see how that sort of plays into uh, something like a Wegman style offering. I guess right. the one thing I've always had a problem with going to Wegmans is like you go in there and it's like this big superstore where. I mean, it's a full day just to kind of walk the whole thing and figure out what you want to get and, and, and get out of there. So they're so big that it's almost that that's a deterrent almost. So I kind of wonder. Um, My dad hates Wegmans for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's and, and that's just I mean, it's it's a good store. It's right. got a great offering, but right. it's so big that I mean, I never go there because of that. That yeah. specific reason. There's one by our house, but uh, yeah, again, I mean, it's a very competitive industry, and I think that you know what once separated Whole Foods. That separation is now gone, and and I I don't know. I mean, this isn't rocket science, right? I mean, it's just grocery stores. So it's it's I don't know beyond sort of the loyalists. Um, they're going to have to really really push to keep bringing new new faces into that store, and uh, you know I think the market sees that for sure. Jason Moser, Sarah Hoff, thanks for being here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you on Tuesday, because the office is closed on Monday. Have a great long weekend. We'll see you next week.